You know, as you know, we uh, finished the series, The Three That Testify, which was concerning conversion. And now we need to discuss what follows. We know that conversion is this moment, it's a birthing, a being born again. But what follows is the growing up. There's a process, there's a sanctification, as many theological words are used, transformation, maturing, whatever words you want to pick, we know that this is important because we don't die at baptism, most of us, right? We, we stick around for hopefully a little while. So what is it we do from that point on? Well, I think the key is in the, the whole point of conversion is you're birthed into something. Look at these two passages in Acts 2.41. So, so those who accepted this message were baptized. We know that baptism includes both the water, the blood, and the Spirit. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. That was the birth of the church of Christ, Jesus' church. His body, His family, His physical kingdom now present in His church, even though the kingdom is always there and has always been there, this, you were birthed into this family. And so when you were baptized, you were birthed into a much larger family. And just like a song, we don't always look like the people in our family. Right? Some of us might. But we're birthed into that. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we are all baptized, again, the water, blood, and the Spirit, by one Spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we're all given one Spirit to drink. When you're born, you're born into a family. But being born in a family doesn't mean you're equipped to handle that family from the start. And there's different ages in that family, right? And some of us have a lot of siblings. Who has a lot of siblings? Okay, a lot of us. Who has more than three siblings? Oh, wow, we got some big families out there. You know that though you're family, you don't always get along. But you're family. And so we got to know what is God's desire for his family. And I think this passage in Mark chapter 3 is where Jesus really tells us what's going to help us to be the family that God wants us to be now that we've been born into it. In Mark 3 verse 33, he says, He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. This is a radical shift because it's very possible Jesus' actual physical mother and brother were in range of hearing this. Because the text actually says they came to get Jesus. They said, hey, your, parent, your family's asking for you. And this was his answer. Jesus is basically now saying, I have physical family, I love my physical family, but God's family is now of greater importance. That's crazy. So we need to know then, how are we this family that Jesus is saying we need to be a part of? He goes on, Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. According to Jesus, what will make us a strong family that we're born into and people are continually being born into is that every member of that family does the will of God. 
But that brings up a very important question. What is the will of God? There is no simple answer. And it would be wrong to even to attempt to give a simple answer. But I'll try to give at least answers that can help us as we go forward. Because before we can do that which is the will of God, we need to actually understand what does this all mean? How many of us at different times in our spiritual journeys have wanted to figure out God's will for our lives? Okay? And sometimes you feel you get an answer. Sometimes you give him A and B, and you say answer A or B, and he answers both. You're like, this isn't helping, Lord. And so the will of God can be very confusing, and yet there is some aspects of it that we should know, and there may be aspects we will never know. So I think it's super important that we understand it to the best of our ability. First of all, to explain it, it might be good to start with the two Greek words we find in the New Testament that can be translated as the will of God. Okay, so we're going to look at the first one we find in Acts 4.28, and you'll find it in other texts, but I'm just picking out a few to show you the difference. It says, To do whatever you hand and your will had predestined to take place. This is in reference to you crucified Jesus, but this was because God willed it to happen. And the Greek word we find for your will is boule. This simply means his will, his counsel, or his purpose. And as we see in context, that fits well with this word. It was his purpose for Jesus to die. God's purpose for our sake. We'll find the other Greek word a lot more than boule, but here's one reference, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Here we find the Greek word thelema, which means will, a bent, like there's a certain direction, a bend that you're going toward, an inclination, a design, or very similar to, to being resolute, a resolve, that this is a desire. So you can kind of see, even with the two Greek words, boule and thelema, they kind of have slightly different nuances. And you might think, well, then that alone should help us discern what is God's will if we just know the two words. Sorry, that's not the case. Because as you look up these words in other contexts, they have multiple nuances and meanings. So just knowing the words is not enough. There's actually one passage where you actually find both Greek words for the will of God, and this is how they're translated. It's in Ephesians 1, verse 11 through 12. In Him we also have received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the One who works out everything in agreement with the purpose, this is Boule, of His will, the lema, so that he, we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. So we see both Greek words, Boule, the next slide, Purpose is translated for boule, will for thelema. So, with all these possible nuances to inform us, how can we really understand God's will? I really appreciate a great Christian writer, R.C. Sproul, gave a really good explanation that I'll do my best to explain to you. Because we need to understand this if we're going to be the kind of people, the family of God, 
who does His will. Here's the first one. The decorative, not decorative, it's more out of the word decree, the decorative will of God. Okay? What is the decorative will of God? The most easiest example of it is in the very beginning in Genesis when God says, let there be light. There was no discussion. There was no dialogue. There was nothing to stop it. It happened as He decreed it. That is the decorative will of God. It's when God's will decrees something to pass according to His supreme sovereignty. Nothing, not even free will, can prevent it from coming to pass. Okay? It, it is what He decreed. It will happen. You cannot stop it. So what about free will? If this is His decorative will, then where's free will? If this is what He wills, then how do we have free will? Don't worry. There's another aspect of God's will we need to understand. This leads to the second aspect, the preceptive will of God. Hmm, what's this? Well, I'll I'll define it. See, the decorative will of God cannot be broken or disobeyed. If God tells the sun to come up each morning, it comes up. Okay? The preceptive will of God, however, can both be broken and disobeyed. Where do we find this will? It can be found anywhere in the Bible where He is giving His Word, His law, His commands, His precepts, His statutes. Whenever you see that written down or spoken, that is the preceptive will of God. Because of free will, you can choose to not obey it. Right? So there's God's decorative will, and there's His preceptive will. The preceptive will really entails His righteousness that He wants us to emulate. All those commands are so that we could be like Him. Those who want to be in God's family need to be like God. So the preceptive will is really discussing that. Which then makes you think about something. Any time His word is violated or disobeyed, you are not following God's will. Because this will is revealed. When he says, do not worry, that is the perceptive will of God. He has revealed it. He has stated it. You can choose to disobey it, and when you do, you're not living as those who do the will of God. Ouch! Now here's what's funny. There is way more revealed will of God through the perceptive will of God than the hidden will of God in the Scriptures. And yet, we tend to struggle more or focus more on the decorative will of God than the perceptive will that is made very clear to us. There's a great quote from the author of the book I was reading, R.C. Sproul. One of the great tragedies of contemporary Christendom is the preoccupation of so many Christians with the secret decorative will of God to the exclusion and neglect of the preceptive will. We want to peek behind the veil to catch a glimpse of our personal future. We see more concern with our horoscope than with our obedience. More concerned with what the stars and the courses are doing than what we are doing. Ouch! pretty clear. How many times are we praying, God, please show me your will. And if you just open the Bible, He's already told you 
But it's funny how when it's about something we desire, and we already kind of have an inclination what His Scriptures might say, we don't go to the revealed will of God. We think there's something else. If there was something else and He didn't reveal it, you're not supposed to know it. So what about free will still with these two aspects? Well, there's a third that we need to understand. It's God's will of disposition. What is this entailing? This is connected to the ability of mankind to disobey God's preceptive will. This is the aspect of the will of God that refers to what is pleasing or not pleasing and agreeable or not agreeable to God. For example, He may allow evil things to transpire, but He is by no means pleased in them. Parents, there's a prescribed will you give as a parent to your child. Obey. When they disobey, that will that was prescribed now has to have punishment. And though punishment's not fun, you do it because of the prescribed will and the decorative will ultimately because God wants us all to be like Him, but we have a choice. But are you pleased when you do it? No. There's not a single parent that's going to enjoy doing that. Those who are have some serious issues. And we need to pray for them and pray for those who are under, undergoing that kind of suffering and violence. Okay? So we see that this disposition is important. In 2 Peter 3.9, I'm going to read a passage. Which of these three aspects makes the most sense? In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, "...the Lord does not delay in His promise." as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The word translated wanting is the Greek word boule. In other words, it is God's will for all people to be saved. But is that the decorative will? It can't be, because the decorative will will happen regardless. This is where this idea of universalism, that there is no hell, that no, we just are all going to be there eventually anyway. That's not biblical. So it can't be the decorative will. Is it the preceptive will, where he's revealing his will, but it's disobeyed? Kind of, but in context, it doesn't really make sense. Really, the third option is the best. Here's how the author describes it. The third option makes sense. God is not willing in the sense that He is not inwardly disposed to or delighted by people perishing. Elsewhere, Scripture teaches that God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He may decree what He does not enjoy. That is, He may distribute justice to wicked offenders. He is pleased when justice is maintained and righteousness is honored, even though He takes no personal pleasure in the application of such punishment. Does that make sense? So with all these aspects of God's will, this is challenging. See, I think what we have to realize is these three aspects are really in two different areas. The hidden will of God and the revealed will of God. You might think, well, that's contradicting. They can be perceived that way from our perspective as humans, 
And it can lead to two possibilities then. It leads to some questions if we don't reconcile this. For example, can we obey His hidden will while at the same time disobeying His revealed will? Yes or no? Yes. You want an example? Does God want us to hurt our brother physically? Okay, so God made that clear even from the very beginning, especially after Cain and Abel. So, when the brothers were basically getting rid of Joseph, they were disobeying His revealed will. But indirectly, they were obeying God's decorative will. As Joseph himself said at the end, though you did sin, they broke God's prescriptive will, revealed will, but God allowed this to happen because His decorative will wanted it to happen. It's going to happen. You couldn't stop it for the saving of many lives. Whoa! Trust me, when I was putting this sermon together, I too was like... Okay, next question. Can we disobey His hidden will while at the same time obeying His revealed will? Yes! Yes! I know, this one's tougher, but I appreciate Ben. He took the risk. He said it. For example... God's descriptive, decorative will toward Israel was to send the Babylonians to bring him into exile. That wasn't revealed at the time. Then you have the preceptive will, obey your leaders. So if the king of Israel tells his people to fight the Babylonians, they were obeying the revealed will, but actually disobeying the discipline God was using the Babylonians in which did happen regardless of them fighting to defend themselves. Both are possible. So with all that possibility, what do we do to be those who do the will of God? Well, this is what we need to do. Concerning His hidden will, all you can do is trust God. Just trust Him. But concerning His revealed will, we must obey God. It's that simple. But it is amazing how we can so focus on the hidden will that we're completely avoiding the already revealed will. And if you look back in your life, you'll see that God revealed His will enough to really make any decision in your life. When I made the decision that Jesus, Lord... That revealed will now actually gives me a a decision for everything coming later. What would a disciple of Jesus do in this context? I can know God's will simply by doing what a disciple of Jesus would do. And the unrevealed, the hidden will of God, I just got to trust Him. I know this is true in my own life. I've shared this story before, but... A big decision. God, what's your will? I'm a young Christian, five months in the Lord. I'm running for the school. I'm setting the school record. I'm training for Olympic trials. I'm just a few seconds away. But at the same time, I'm asked to go on a mission team to the Soviet Union. God, just answer one of them. Bless the running, if that's your will. Or bless getting on the team, if that's your will. What did he do? He blessed both. 
God, this isn't helping me. Which do I do? The running's still going well. I'm breaking records. I'm this close to qualifying. I got into the world-class race. Now I'm also on the mission team. How did I end up determining His will? There was revealed will. It was my last race, which means now I can actually compete for money. It was my dream. And a runner, promoter, comes up to me. I'd like you to run for our club. Oh, yes, God, this is what you want. But then there was a part of me like, ooh, this just is too much for me. Well, okay, tell me what you mean by that. Like, I want you to run a race this, this week. Oh, awesome. What day? Sunday. God's revealed will do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. No. And I went to Russia. That's how you know. You trust the hidden will. You obey the revealed will. But then when you add free will to all this mess, it can get really confusing. For There's this common axiom, and I've been guilty of this. I myself have said it. And now I have to repent and not do it again. It's this... Whatever God does, He never goes against free will. That's actually blasphemy. Here's why. The sovereignty of God may never violate human freedom. Really? Where do we get that truth? Is it in the Scriptures? If you follow that line of thinking, if that's true, to its conclusion then you have to believe that man, not God, is ultimately sovereign because God would be restrained and constrained by the power of human freedom. So our understanding of that, and that axiom, is completely false. There is a will that even despite our free will, will be accomplished. But that doesn't seem right. I could understand that. But again, His will is all about being in His family. Here's a way to answer the dilemma. Okay? Let's bring a family dynamic into the discussion. Between a parent and a young child. Do both the parent and the child have a free will? Yes, they do. They have their individual wills. However, a child's will is more often constrained, right teens, by the parent's will than vice versa. Agreed? Why is that? Because the parent carries more authority and more power in the relationship. God has infinite power. And therefore, His will will never be hindered by ours. We're His children. But we still have free will. But it will not trump God's will. That's amazing. So... What I'm going to be doing in the rest of the series is looking at only three passages that the Scriptures actually contain where we find the phrase, this is God's will. It's only three times. Now, remember, every time there's a command, that's God's revealed will. But the actual phrase, this is God's will, I'd like to know what those are. Because those are clear. They should be obeyed. What you're going to find out is there's a lot more about being than doing. But we'll get to those in June. But I want to end today with two more thoughts that are going to be very important as we discern God's 
revealed will for our lives. Let's start in Romans 12. Many of you know this passage, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, and this is plural, so it's it's urging you, the church, the disciples, all of you, you all, Texan, okay, to present your all, everyone's, bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your all, so it's all of you, again, plural, true worship. Do not be conformed, plural, not just individually, it's plural. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed, plural, by the renewing of your singular mind. I think that's unique. Obviously, he's addressing the church, so it makes sense to say plural. But why switch to all plural to singular unless he's helping you understand that when it comes to God's individual will in your life, though we're part of a community, there's an individual aspect only you can control your mind. And when a church community tries to control individual mind, that's where problems happen. Right? And we've been there. We've all done it. Been part of it. We've been victims of it. So I think that's interesting that the mind is very involved and that's an individual thing. So that you, plural, may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So in other words, it's important to both have communal and individual aspects of our mind in discerning the will of God. For the communal, we know that it means to not be conformed to this age. For the individual, it means to be renewing of your mind. You're the only one who can do that. That's where free will is involved, is your mind. God doesn't make up His mind for you. But He may pressure you in a good way from community. Positive peer pressure. We get negative peer pressure no matter what, so why not have positive peer pressure? We need that. I think this particular issue about our minds not transforming to this age brings up something I would like to address because I'm not going to be naive or assume that this might not be a problem. And I think we need to be aware of how Satan gets even Christians to conform to this age. There's a particular show, very popular show, and I want you to consider as I show some information about the show, whether this is aligned with God's will. Let's look at this first graph. This shows in seven seasons, this show has 17 attempted or actual rapes of women shown in the series. And that's very personal to me because my wife was almost raped as a young disciple on the mission field by knife point. I know how wrong it felt to her. So how could it be right that we would watch something that contains this many accounts visibly shown. That's not all. Let's look at the next graph. This shows seven seasons. In those seven seasons, the first being the worst, there are 144 
full nudity. Men and women, although 88% is of women, which shows me it's still sexism and the degrading of women. Does this align with God's will? The show is Game of Thrones. I don't know how anyone claiming to be a Christian could watch this show. And yet there's 23 million viewers, many of them claiming to be Christians, that have made it the most successful TV series for HBO ever. What happened to God's will? I just want to bring it to our attention because I think Satan is putting the the veil over our eyes. That somehow we could justify this. How? If, If we were to ask your wife, men... How would you feel about your husband seeing 144 nude photos or visual videos? I don't think a single one of them would say, yes, please, because it's the most popular show. Or how many of you would like your mother, daughter, or sister to be the ones actually showing it in that show? Now I know some people go, well, what about violence? Here's the difference between violence and nudity in movies and TV. The violence isn't real. People's not actually dying. But the nudity is real, it's nude. There's a huge difference there. I'm not saying we should watch a lot of violence either. But I just wanted to bring this to attention because I'm not naive to think that there's not some of us, even in this room, who've been watching seven seasons of stuff that that is terrible for us. We need to be a people that do the will of God. And I don't see how any of this can align with the will of God. Amen? It's not just about our mind. It's also about our heart. I'll close with this passage in Ephesians 6. Don't work only while being watched. And see, that's the problem with a lot of this stuff. So we can do it in the comfort of our own home with no one watching us watching it. That's the challenge. As people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. It's not just our mind. It's our heart. And how do we know that you're doing God's will from your heart? You serve with a good attitude. As to the Lord and not to people. Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. Doing God's will requires not only our mind, but it requires our heart. Sometimes that's going to be a heart of just trust. Why am I sick? Why am I in this financial duress? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my family? The decorative will of God, we don't know. It's not revealed. It's hidden. I've just got to trust God with a good attitude and trust that God works out everything for the good. Not everything is good, but He can work out everything for the good, just as Joseph did at the end of his life. We've got to have that heart. And we've got to have that mind. If we are to truly become the family of God collectively, and as a devoted member within that family individually, then we must, with both our hearts and our minds, obey God's revealed will and trust with His hidden will. In future lessons, starting in June, we'll look at the three passages for this is God's will. Let's go to God in prayer and will be dismissed. Lord God, we thank You that there are parts of Your will we don't know. For maybe if we did, 
we would lose heart. Maybe if we did, our minds would not be able to comprehend and we begin to doubt. But God, we're thankful that though there may be your hidden will, there is very clearly your revealed will. Help us not to ignore it. Help us to obey it. Help us to read your word so we know what your revealed will is. And God, help us to do it together by loving one another as you willed for us to do. But at the same time, to do it individually by having personal convictions about righteousness and about faith. Thank you for calling us into your family. Thank you that Jesus gave us the opportunity to be born through Him into a family that ultimately desires to do your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.